0: Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 238. This week we talk with Harini Kannan and Paul Gus Marino about React Native, CLIs versus GUIs, and how copying code from Stack Overflow made it so that Docker and Razer software couldn't run at the same time.
1: Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com.
0: Hey, Carl, how's it going? It's going pretty good. We're actually recording this in the opposite order. So we did the news after we recorded the episode. So you're hearing the news first, but this is recorded after the interview, if that makes any sense. (laughs) So, um, make it hard. So we, we already know everything about the interview. It was a great interview. (laughs) It was the best. So make sure you stick around for that. And, uh, I do want to just put out kind of a PSA out there. Like hopefully everybody is staying safe with the, uh, with the coronavirus and, uh, you know, don't, don't put others in danger. Try to isolate yourself as much as possible. I know uh, with me and my family, we're all just uh, basically in the, in the bunker. <laughs> and my, my parents are really in the bunker because they're kind of in the middle of nowhere and they have like um, um, half a year, probably they could probably stretch it out to a year or more of food. They have a generator and a well, and I mean, they're, they're just set up for, for living off the grid anyway, but um, that's, what's going to keep people safe. So just everybody stay safe, please. Um okay, let's jump into the news. So the first story that we have here, announcing .net core 5. No, sorry. I keep saying .net core 5. .net 5. You're just too preview 1. You're too used to .net core .net. Core. Yeah, 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 in my brain that's one word, .net core, but it's .net 5 preview 1. So what what's the deal here?
1: Yeah, so I mean, we've we've talked about this last year at Build when um this was announced. So in in an effort to kind of converge a lot of different variants of of .NET, .NET Core 5 is kind of gonna be the one to rule them all. There's still gonna be .NET framework uh, that for reasons um, are part of Windows and can't really make that jump right here. Mm -hmm. But if you're making a new application going forward, you're going to be just starting with file new project .NET 5. And you're going to be going for there. And that doesn't matter if you're doing something on the desktop, something on the web, uh, something with Xamarin. All of those um, are going to be using .NET 5. And the very interesting thing is, you know, what are some of those repercussions? Uh, You know, the base class library is going to be the same for all of those. Whereas in the past, um, they haven't been. Mm -hmm. So this is a time where a lot of um, this tooling and, other things can be consolidated to the same experience no matter what you're doing. So that that's pretty exciting.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think this was the end game, right? This is where everybody wanted to get to. Um, you know, everything is all, like you said, the same, the same uh, base classes um, same, basically the same API, right? So everything just becomes super uniform. Um, the only complaint I really saw out in the public in the public reaction to it was, the fact that you know .NET Core that that name was you know sort of representative of this separate thing that was you know um, split out and was sort of a different path, but now those paths are you know it, it's I guess merging is is sort of the yep. way of thinking, and of that's why the name changed. But I mean, I, I just I understand the sentiment of like, hey, this thing was sort of on its own path. Um, you don't have to remerge the the name back in. But, uh, you know, a name is just a name, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, part of that, uh, too, is the GitHub repos are actually being merged together. Okay. So what was the core effects, core CLR, and core setup are now the .NET slash runtime. Yeah. And what was the .NET SDK and the CLI are just .NET slash SDK. Okay. So, yeah, there's there's actual physical merging as well as the mental merging. Okay. Cool. Well, I like what they're doing there. Uh, The next one here, introducing Raspberry Pi Imager, our new imaging utility. This is really exciting. So uh, for those of you who haven't played around with a Raspberry Pi, um, you first take the SD card and uh, format it, and you need to image it with uh, basically the operating system and everything that you need to get up and running Um, by default. There's a lot of different OSs that can be supported. There's a lot of different uh, tooling, especially if you have the Raspberry Pi, Pi 2 or 2B or 3. It, each of those has different combinations that work and don't work. And to make it all really hard, we all have different machines that we're starting from. Um, you might be on Mac, you might be on Windows, you might be on Linux, and all of those have just different APIs for accessing storage media. and there was, as a result, there was just tons of different tools to image Mm -hmm. your SD card before you got it on. And, um, at raspberry org, they now have one application that'll run anywhere that will understand what kind of device you have and allow you to choose, um, the operating system you want with everything you need to get up and going. It's designed to make this really easy, um, to get that image and get you going. So yeah. instead of you're relying on that, you know, it came with whatever you needed or if it doesn't, trying to figure it out, that might be complicated. You might toss the wrong one on on, and it won't work. This will really help simplify that process.
0: Yeah, I mean, I so I just installed the tool. Like, it's really simple. I mean, th- this wasn't like the, the world's like worst problem before, um, other than it's like, oh, if you're using this or this or this or this, I mean, it just makes it like, download this one tool, pick your operating system, point us at the SD card, and then you're not running like some, you know, command line tools. And I'm sure there's some people that, that would prefer those things. And I think you can still use them. Uh, But for, you know, 95% of the users, this is just easier. And I just love that too, that it's just, everything's in a list. Like I can see like Raspbian is in this list. It Uh, it also does
1: uh, like an update to make sure that like, if something is added a week from now, Hey, as soon as that's available, you'll get the update for that with this app and uh, you can start using it.
0: Yep. looks like there's Cody in here as well. You can even just do like a format uh, or use a custom IMG file. So yeah, this just makes it a little bit simpler and you don't, um, yeah, it's just simpler. I like it. Um, the next one here, why CLI suck and GUIs are better. Well, that sort of fits in with the last story.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, for me, you know, like as I'm coding, uh, you know, I don't want to have to be sitting there and remembering all these very arcane commands and options and whatnot. GUIs are really nice to kind of just go through a menu. Uh, you get a lot of muscle memory there, or even keyboard shortcuts to bring up what you need. For me, the problem when you're using a CLI, it's okay. You know, I have a few basics that I'll always remember, but like the really hard stuff. I'm looking up, it takes a long time. I have to copy and paste from Stack Overflow just to remember that weird stuff. Whereas if it's in a GUI, you know, they might pop up a dialogue and ask me for a piece of information and I'll fill in a form that's got nice labels and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the point of this art- article isn't to say never never uh, CLIs. Um, in fact, right now the project I'm working on, I'm creating the CLI for it. So there are values to CLIs, but I don't think they're meant for day-to-day operations. Uh, they're great when you don't have time for a full GUI and you're just getting started. But um, at the end of the day, CLIs are always very important because autom- automation needs that. Automation be, needs to be able to uh, you know, access and configure uh, something however it needs to be done but at the end of the day i'm not going to remember all of the crazy commands no matter what i do and if i am stuck using a cli and i have to do that i'm probably going to come up with some sort of macro or something to even automate that for me mm-hmm. right tool for the job right and
0: yep. it, you know it's funny because i'm thinking too of like There's some CLIs like the one of the things we talk about in the interview later in the show is a there's a command line utility called Expo. And it's interesting because it's one of these ones where it shows when you run it, it shows you a list of options and you can navigate with your arrow keys and, and pick one of the options. So it is kind of funny, too. You can have a CLI that mimics some of the advantages of having a GUI. So, you know, there's, it's, it's not always like a clear distinction either. Like I will type short textual commands at a, at a command line. And that's, that's what I'm going to call a CLI and my GUI is going to be super rich and have cool 3d effects or whatever. Like there's, um, there's definitely like some, some, you know, middle ground there as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, just be, be proficient in both and, and use each to their strengths I think is the, is the overall, but, um, yeah, it's a cool discussion. Yeah. I yeah, don't think I it should be a religious it, like, debate either, like tabs versus spaces or anything like that. Yeah. Like, I think this is totally different. Um, it's just a very tool for the job. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I use both the command line version of Git as well as GitHub desktop. Mm-hmm. Just for the daily commits, pushing, pulls, fetching, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's great for that. Anytime I really want to do something like, you know, you know in, intense or there's cert- certain things that the CLI is just is faster for. Like I, I know how to, if I need to uh, pull from another branch for me, it's easier just to do uh, you know, a, a git pull origin, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and, and get those in. I have no idea how to do that right. in desktop if it's even possible. And you can so type are and cons
0: commands, each. right? I mean, you can just like type in five quick commands in there and you don't have to search around for them. But when you're using the GUI, if you have 10 files that change, you want to check in five, you can go click, 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 done. <laughs> like there's, yep. there's clear, even with something as simple as Git, like there are clear distinct advantages to, uh, to each of those. And of course, somebody probably has a CLI that lets you do that. Click, 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 like I was saying, but, uh, mm-hmm. but you understand what we're saying. So our smart listeners, um, okay. The next story here, tech
1: salaries are risk
0: premiums.
1: Yeah, I I know that you read this one a little bit yesterday, mm-hmm. and um, I know I, I really thought this was interesting. Um, as as many people in our field are aware, you know we have a certain amount of salary uh, that's for the most part better than most other industries, and it's not because you know we're necessarily you know more skilled or more talented we might be, but for yourself, part bro. of it is just the, <laughs> the state <laughs> of the industry. Um, there are a certain tier of companies in here. Uh, they call it App Ama Goofy Soft. <laughs> and but. basically the, the people who are engineers in those companies get paid a, a, a premium to work there. And this is talking about Salaries are risk premiums both for the employer and the employee. Because there are these high-paid people, and you could be one of those people, your salary is lifted because those are really high. Mm-hmm. Um, companies always want to pay you as little as possible, so they know they're not going to pay you that much because they can't afford to, but they have to pay you more because you might be able to. Um, I thought one thing that was interesting in here. They did a few thought experiments to help understand this. And they said, if for some reason, all of those main companies did like a hiring freeze for the summer months, uh, during those summer months, you would actually have less chance of negotiating for a higher salary because they know that at that moment, you can't get a job from those top tier companies. But the problem is that breaks down because even if one of them, uh, has a hiring freeze like that? The, a different company will just come in and hire an engineer mm-hmm. at that level. Yeah. So I I think this you know I might have explained this not as well as the article did. So definitely go to the show notes and read this. It'll take about three or four minutes, um, but it really helps understand why our wages are on average higher than most o- other industries. Yeah, I would. And I would maybe say- if you're smart you know, how to leverage that on the next time that you're negotiating. Yeah.
0: I also think it's kind of a company superpower. If you can, even if the economy isn't good and even if you don't need people, maybe even in that case, being able to hire really good people. Like I've, I've really enjoyed anytime I've been able to work for a company where it's like, Hey, we need good engineers regardless of any other outside circumstances, right? You know, maybe the team is full. But like we are still hiring engineers because, you know, we know we know that that investment will be will be needed, and uh, you know, to your point, that that helps keep uh, wages high as well. Um, just always having a company. I mean, I I lost my job in God, what was it, 2008, whenever that whole thing happened, or 2009? Yeah, I think it was 2008 when the economy was just crap. And I, I went to work for a company that didn't have work for me. (laughs) They hired me and they said, well, we don't have work for you, but, um, you know, we want to make that investment. And, uh, and they actually found work for me very, very quickly after that. So, you know, it all worked out in the end, but they had a huge advantage. All these other companies said, we want to hire you, but, uh, you know, we just can't do it right this second. So they got the advantage there. um, what do we have next? I clicked on a whole bunch of things. Oh, this one here—the amusing bug for Docker for Windows won't run if you have the Razer Synapse Driver Management Tool running. What?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and 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 the thing—the ironically funny thing to me was—is just by looking at this first tweet, this is a you know it kind of a tweet storm. Mm-hmm. Um, but just seeing that first tweet, I knew what the problem was, <laughs> and I knew how to fix it. So what happened is if anybody is a Windows developer, um, there is a way when an application starts that you can check to see if another instance of the application is running. And that's by something that's called a mutex. Basically, if another instance tries opening, it sees that there's this GUID that is identifying that it's already in use. You should close that, that second instance that's trying to start. And what happened here is the mutex GUID that Razor, as well as Docker was using was identical. And the thing is, well, that's, I, you know, kind of funny, like how, how could they have that collision? Right. Cause the GUID space is huge. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I forget what the numbers are, but There's it's pretty much if you, if you pick two, you're pretty much never going to get two in a row that are identical. Um, but what happened was, is they were loading uh, the .NET assembly and saying, get executing assembly, get type of GUID, uh, and they're pulling that out. Well, it actually wasn't pulling the assembly's GUID, it, they were u- pulling the GUID for system.reflection.runtime assembly. <laughs> so basically, they're both using .NET, and they were both taking the same class and getting its GUID, so of course it's going to give you the same GUID because it's identical. And when they were, the first one was running, it locked the second one from even being able to start.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is obscure.
1: And and to go even further, mm-hmm. um, the person tracked down that they this happened because of Stack Overflow, the website. Yep, they were able to track down that there was a question that somebody had answered. The answer was actually incorrect. But, um, the same developers or the different developers found the same question and answer and copied and paste incorrect code off of stack overflow. Yep.
0: They're like, Oh, it works. They tested it, ship it done. <laughs> yeah. That, is, I mean, that, that is a good lesson, right? Like I think doing that works 99% of the time, but like you really do have to understand what you're copying and pasting into there. I mean, you could open up a, bu- oh, yeah. a vulnerability, um, it's just a bad idea just to, just to paste it in. I, I know that we all have done it, <laughs> but yep. just, yeah, maybe, maybe take a second and pause and understand what you're copying. Okay. Last one, Microsoft buys JavaScript developer platform NPM plans to integrate it with GitHub. So so kind of, this one's this interesting because a little misleading. they, this one says Microsoft buys most of the titles say GitHub buys NPM.
1: Yeah. So, uh, everywhere else I've seen GitHub. Uh, uh, purchasing NPM. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know a lot about the company NPM. I I, I am familiar with the NPM patching, packaging service, but uh, from what I do understand, the NPM company uh, didn't have a, a long financial uh, tail to continue running. So uh, the fact that GitHub is able to acquire it means that uh, the work that the company NPM is doing can is essentially funded by a company with uh, a lot of money to uh, keep it going, whether or not it's uh, making money to support itself or not.
0: Yeah, because NPM, I mean, it, it really is just storage, isn't it? I mean, when it comes down to it, it's just storing packages. I mean, I know there's more to it than that. I'm sort of marginalizing the whole thing. But when it comes down to it, I mean, it's just like storage that a redonkulous number of people are just hitting and pulling down stuff and pushing. And so, yeah, there's got to be a lot of costs associated with that.
1: Yeah. But the, the interesting thing is, you know, GitHub is uh, a, a company that is owned by Microsoft, but it's run independently. Mm-hmm. So, you know, GitHub being an independent open source company, uh, I think it has the right background to steward uh, uh, this acquisition.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. Um, okay. And then the only other thing that I was going to mention, um, you could think of this as sort of a hardware tip of the week, but it's more of just like a, a heads up. It was some products that, um, ubiquity announced recently, um, maybe a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, I just haven't mentioned it on the, on the show. And, uh, but I think they're just, they're just like really killing it. Um, they're announcing some really cool things. You know, when I built out my network using all the, the, the Unify, hardware from ubiquity um there were some scenarios that they just didn't really support well like i had discussions with you and some other some of our friends where i was like hey i'm thinking about mounting a switch on the ceiling of my garage but you know the issue is like these extreme temperature fluctuations and and then i also had a situation where I really wanted to have, um, some, some like small managed switches for places like where TVs are, where you have like a couple things that need network, maybe different game consoles, that type of thing. And, uh, unify apparently has a microphone in my house because they've been releasing a whole bunch of products that, um, basically is answering what I wanted. So the first one here, this one just is really mind blowing. It's a tiny little, um, five port managed gigabit switch so it, it is managed um so it has one port in uh which is the po basically uh the the ethernet in port and that actually powers this switch so you know when i built out my unify system i basically the the, the backbone of a good Unify system is like make your switches just 100 percent poe because then life is wonderful um and the way it's really cool because like when this thing um uh, i had a different product that was similar show up basically i can um you know take this thing plug it in any port in my house and it magically gets lit up but here's the amazing part about this that having a fully managed switch that is powered over poe and can have separate vlans all that good stuff it's 29 dollars. 29 dollars for which ubiquity is really that is
1: really cheap
0: yeah so like i don't honestly i don't i don't need this thing um <laughs> <laughs> but I bought two of them and they're showing up soon. <laughs> um and, and and the reason is like so the, the desktop computer I'm using now, I have it plugged into a dumb switch. I think it's like an eight-port switch, and then I have a couple different computers to plug in the same thing. And whenever you use an old school switch, unmanaged switch that's not part of the unify stuff, everything just shows up as sort of like on the same port. Um, and, and you just don't have the same level of like traceability. Like you can't see what's what's actually flowing through a particular port. And you also can't VLAN off those things separately. Um, But I could literally have like my work computer on a separate VLAN from everything else. Like when, when I have this new managed switch. So it just makes it so that it, your network is just fully managed. So I ordered two of them. I ordered one for my office here and then one for upstairs where the the kids have like some game consoles and and a whole bunch of other stuff. And I've been meaning to put a switch in there. Actually that's one case where they keep switching a, a network cable between two different places So, you know, for not a lot of money, I can actually make my, my network fully managed. And then I ordered, uh, a third switch, uh, of a different type here that they also announced recently, which is the switch flex. Um, and this one is basically the same device, except that it is designed for, um, extreme temperature environments, so extreme hot and cold. So the, do you remember all the temperature range is minus 40 to plus 55 C. And it's weatherproof, IP55 rated. I don't know if that's like rainproof or whatever. And I I don't care because I'm not going to put it outside. But this is something that I can put in my attic. Um, And I actually kept running cables into my attic for various uh, PoE cameras. But I can actually now just have everything just tap into this. And this was $109, um, which is really not expensive for, again, a fully managed five-port switch that can actually handle like extreme temperature environments. That's really impressive. And then you sent me some messages about something in your cart. Oh, you have a whole bunch of stuff in your cart.
1: <laughs> yeah, so what was kind of funny about this is I've I'm always uh te- been tempted by ubiquity. Mm-hmm. Uh price has kind of kept me out, but if, if I go ahead and kind of pull the pl- the trigger on what's in my cart right now and actually Get enough stuff to replace uh, my router and put APs all over the places, replace the switches that I do have. Um, I know that I would be in a much better spot, Mm -hmm. especially since there are some really bad locations in my house. One of which happens to be in my office, which makes no sense because it's 15 feet from the router, pretty (laughs) much clear line of sight. So. With this, this would pretty much hardwire everything I want, hardwire five access points to put throughout my house, Mm -hmm. which is probably
0: excessive, but I I will tell you these, these are the in wall. I see a five pack is $480.
1: Yeah. The in walls don't have quite the range, Yeah, but if I have two, two on the two main floors and one in the basement, Mm -hmm. that would, that would be perfect coverage.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What's nice about this whole setup is like, I could throw some extra access points. Like I kind of want one in my garage. And because it's a kind of a weak area for Wi-Fi. And then uh, I thought about putting one in our bedroom as well. And and part of it is like whenever you do this, you put the you put the in wall and it uses the wired Ethernet and it looks really cool. And then it also gives you two ports, or I think the new ones have like no, five ports. The new ones on. are four. Um, yeah, there's four, four, four outputs. The output. I mean, that's awesome because you basically get a built-in switch in your in your wall as well um which is which is pretty amazing yeah, and you got a 16 port PoE switch here that's pretty solid so that's 299 and then you have the, the unify security gateway for one thirty nine. I think there's some newer options for that, by the way.
1: Yeah. But the problem is I, I wanted to keep this somewhat cheap. Yeah. So yeah, no, I, I didn't I go with the, the crazy gateway. Okay. I also didn't go with the HD. Yeah. Like I said, I haven't pulled the purchase into the trigger on yeah. this. So if there's a good reason, but I mean, just going HD doubles the price of the, yeah. Th-
0: they're not worth it. That's that's the HD is actually for high density. You don't have a high density environment.
1: No, not with five. Um, because it's, uh, I think it's a hundred or $99 for the ones that are in my car yeah. and the HD ones are 180. So it's just about double and it's not, doesn't make sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I can look at the specs on that and kind of, kind of help you with that. But yeah, in my living room, I have the, the nano as an example and that thing, um, I get, um, I can get 800 down and 800 up, um, through that thing, which is, which is really amazing. And they actually have some new versions of that, by the way, that, that are like the size of like a tall, it'd be like a Coke can, but like a little bit taller, like a soda can, um, which is pretty cool. Cause they used to only have the the stuff that was supposed to be ceiling mount and like, who the heck can actually like retrofit their house with ceiling mount stuff? I mean, that only works good. I, in I know I can't,
1: but like the in wall ones, that's just so tempting yep. because it's a lot easier to bring something there and you might not even have something, you know, that's a a hardware port there that you would instead just plug in. Yep. So if you already have cat six going everywhere, or even cat five E um, this, these in wall ones are super great yep. uh, options to have.
0: Yeah. One of those covers my entire upstairs floor. So um, and actually like if you're, if you're in my kitchen, a lot of times you'll actually connect to the one that's upstairs. You just get better signal. Even though I, you've I you noticed
1: that with my phone, it always goes upstairs. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It happens. So you're at $947, but this is, this would be a, this would be a solid setup for sure. And then what's nice I, is that the expansion is relatively inexpensive because these flex minis and things like that would be pretty, pretty inexpensive to add on. So.
1: Yeah. Cause I think the only thing after this that I would really want to do is, uh, get my backyard covered. Yep. And that would just be and, a matter of plugging into that. That's because I have but. a nice backyard where we want to be. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, getting something weatherproof uh, from ubiquity is not challenging.
0: Right. Well, and in one thing you can do too, is like the access point in your office, you could crank up the power on that one. Um, especially if everything in your office is wired and then turn down the power on the other ones. Um, Cause in mm-hmm. a perfect situation, you have an access point near where you're at all the time and there. You have super low power, but you can turn up the power as long as you don't have channel overlap. So you could have one with and- higher power or even on the 2.4 gigahertz. So if you're out by your pool, um, then you're you're covered with the the 2.4 gigahertz. Um, just one thing. Yeah, and luckily about.
1: I live on the edge of town in a small ruralish area, so yeah, I, I don't have a lot of channel conflicts.
0: Yep. Otherwise, there is the LR product, which will is meant for longer range. It goes a little bit further. So, anyway, we probably talked this to death, but um, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. They just um, I'm I'm just really amazed. I mean, they they obviously the products are doing really well. Um, And they've, they've put that money back into uh, research and development on releasing, you know, a whole bunch of new great products that just plug into that existing system. So the
1: the other thing that would be really nice, um, just because I've seen this by other people who have it is, you know, I can now tag all of my kids devices. And if I want to like punish a kid by removing internet access, it becomes, you know, almost too simple to do. Yep. (laughs) So (laughs) exactly. uh, Just, just another way. And, and since we're all kind of hunkered down, not going anywhere um, you know, it's nice to be able to tell the kids like, Hey, you need to take a break. And when they sneak their device away, it, it it won't help them because they have no internet access, but yet everybody else does. Yep.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I was just looking at some of my dashboards here, but so I have 30, (laughs) uh, let's see here, 30, Oh, 38 clients. One of them just dropped off. I have 38 clients right now, 19 are wireless and then 19 are wired. So 50, 50 mix, but yeah, I can see for every, every device, I can see what kind of Wi-Fi experience they're having. So I can see right now that my ring doorbell chime, I don't know what that thing just, it does not do good. Um, I think it's because of, um, I've heard one trick is to have, just take one of your access points, maybe the one on the first floor and only just have it, um, Have it be the only one that does 2.4 because there's so much channel overlap with 2.4 because my five gigahertz stuff is blazing fast everywhere. So yeah, I might disable 2.4 on the, uh, the other ones. Um, But yeah, now I can see that I can actually see the data here and see that, you know, like I need to fix something here, which is great. So, okay, cool. Um, yeah. And if we would love to hear from, uh, from people on their ubiquity setup, Um, If you have kind of a cool setup, send us your configuration, uh, feedback at msdevshow.com. We'd love to hear about that. Raygun Crash Reporting provides automated monitoring software for your entire tech stack, giving you better visibility and code-level diagnostics into the errors and crashes that affect your end users. Raygun is a more sophisticated alternative to logging errors. While logs provide you with an overwhelming stream of information, Raygun finds, then groups errors based on root cause. The easy-to-use dashboard gives your team members a manageable list of bugs to fix in real-time, ranked on frequency, or by the number of users affected. Getting started takes minutes. Simply select the language and framework you wish to monitor and add Raygun into your code using one of their lightweight SDKs. So what are you waiting for? It's time to control the chaos around solving software bugs in your own application. Deliver better software experiences for your customers with Raygun. Visit raygun.com to find out more. Now we're talking to Paul Gus Marino, PM lead of the UI platform team at Microsoft, and Harini Kannan, program manager driving React Native investments in Microsoft. How's it going, both of you?
2: Hey, doing pretty well. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, working from home right now.
0: Yeah, surviving yeah. the virus. So you, so you two normally um, go into the office, but now you're at home? Yeah. Okay. Most
3: of our team has been, um, yeah, all of us are working from home days, but uh we are usually at work yes yeah we're usually at the redmond main redmond campus at microsoft
0: okay yeah we're trying to set up an episode just talking about that you know how that's kind of changing the world and um you know trying to see like you know if, 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 what's this going to do to to work going forward so uh, look forward to that but anyway thank yeah, you I for think... for coming on yeah thanks uh were you going to say something else about that paul
2: oh i was just going to say uh I think those of us uh, working in tech are lucky that we're able to work from home so easily. Cause Absolutely. that's not something that everyone can do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my family right now is they're struggling with how they do online schooling. Um, my middle son already does online schooling, so he's a pro, but the other two are trying to figure out the tools and coordination. And um, it's actually amazing though, how well it's actually going when it, when it really comes down to it. Um, everybody sort of pulled together and, and made it work. So it's yeah. great to see um so yeah we're talking about uh, react native which has always been a technology that has fascinated me and i did play with it a couple of years ago and and honestly i just i haven't i haven't touched it in a while but i've i've been interested in it and i'd like to it's something that i'd like to add to my toolbox so i think we should just start sort of from zero which is you know like what is react native
2: um yeah well react native i'll, I'll start with this one i don't know Harini, you can chime in other stuff too if you want but it's uh you know, really popular and growing framework for creating fully native apps entirely using JavaScript. Uh, So uh, it was created, I think, originally 2016. So I guess it's in its fourth year now, but it's still been growing pretty rapidly. Last year, we saw 50% growth uh, of usage of it. So there's 1.4 million downloads of the SDK last year. So it's a pretty big deal. And uh, there's you know, tens of thousands of apps shipping to stores using React Native, from uh, Fortune 500 companies to hot startups and a lot of apps that you maybe use very often you don't even realize are using React Native from companies like Facebook and Walmart and Uber and Microsoft. Um, and there's a big community around it. And so it's just a pretty you know, popular and uh, growing technology for creating native apps, uh, but doing so using JavaScript.
3: It's about it. Um, um, uh, React Native, you know, as you can see, the name React Native comes from React. Um, So React was a JavaScript framework that was originally. And then React Native became the framework for using that um, uh, program model, which was very popular, um, and actually creating native apps for iOS and Android in the beginning and now for other platforms as well. So that's kind of the origin story there.
1: So I think one thing that is a little bit confusing here is, there's React Native and then there's React. What's what's the difference between those and how do we keep those separate in our minds or or together?
3: React Native had its origins in React, so React came first, and then came React Native. Um, uh, and and both are, you know, like you don't need to separate them too much. Um, you know, the frame, the programming model, the way you interact with, uh, you know, as a developer, you work with them is pretty similar. It's just that uh, React Native is basically React and the JavaScript framework, but you create fully native apps with it. Whereas React, you're creating websites and web apps. Um, so that's the primary uh, difference, I would say.
2: So, so when you're using React Native, even though you're, you, know, you have a .js file and you have the same React component model and you're basically writing your code the same exact way you would create a website or a web app with React, when you build it, it actually is spitting out and building a native iOS app and a native Android app and a native Windows app and so forth. And the actual UI, it's not using HTML. There's no HTML involved. It's not the HTML engine, so it's not web UI. It's fully native UI, and so you have the native buttons of the native text boxes, the native scrolling, and 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 kind of all the native controls of the platforms being used. So it is a fully native app, but you kind of built it in the in the program model of it. If you know how to do React programming, you know how to do React Native programming. It's the same exact programming model.
0: Okay, well that sounds like too good to be true. So like, wh- what is the catch? Because every time I've I've sort of looked at it, it's like, hey, there's there's really no catch, right? Because it's it is actually outputting uh, you know native controls and those types of things. So like is it is it really as good as it sounds? Uh,
2: it, it, I mean, it's pretty good. you know I mean it's you know <laughs> uh, an evolving you know uh, thing you know so uh, you know we think it's pretty good. We're starting to use it more. obviously, uh, those of us who use it like any technology where everyone has every single flaw that you know they see with how they'd like things to be, um, you know how good they'd like debugging to be, how good they how fast they'd like compile to be. You know, some of the same hassles that you have of app development still exist, um, so you still have to go um, you know, ultimately produce those apps that you put up in the stores and things like that versus mm-hmm. web development, but you get native UI and the native experience out of it, um, so there's a benefit versus okay. just making a website. Makes sense.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't say there's a catch necessarily, but, um, you know, it, it is it is really good. And, you know, all the advantages you get out of React and web-based programming model, like, you know, hot reload and, uh, you know, those kind of things that are really, really uh, high dev productivity, uh, it all extends native, so it is pretty good. Um, but the one thing that is slightly different that people might want to think about is also that um, uh, you are, at the end, outing native apps for each native uh, platform. So um, one way the React Native uh, technology itself is talked about is uh, you learn once and write for multiple Places, it's not necessarily a right ones run everywhere, um, just like that. Simply because you want to actually test it on each device to see how it uh, works and whether you're really taking advantage of the native capabilities. Um, and uh, the the advantage is that you can actually access them through the programming model that is shared, so you can learn that once and then you can apply it broadly. That's basically how I would put it. So maybe a catch for some people, maybe not. Uh, yeah, I'd say
2: maybe another thing is if you're if you're a traditional Microsoft developer um, who's used to kind of one company providing the full end-to-end tool chain and flows and everything's just kind of like double-click this thing and hit this one button and, like, there's one thing behind it. You know, React Native is kind of an uh, ecosystem solution. And so it's very broadly used. There's a lot of major companies investing in it and behind it. Um, But like many web technologies, like, you have to go, oh, install Node and then install this package and install this other package. And so um, for some people who are coming from kind of how easy it is sometimes – with you know something like windows forms or something to like go create a new app um it's you know uh there's a little more like pulling stuff together to to get your dev environment up
0: okay and then what what products from microsoft are are built on react native like it's kind of interesting talking to two microsoft people about react native
2: (laughs) (laughs) um yeah go ahead harini do you want to
3: Sure. Um, uh, so you know, uh, with Microsoft, there are several angles um, of um, investments that are happening with React Native. One angle is definitely the experiences that are getting lit up, which is what you asked for. Basically, what products from Microsoft are built with React Native? Mm-hmm. A lot of apps. I believe uh, there's over uh, two dozen apps. Or uh, uh, I don't exactly know the number uh, at this, in the top of my head, because we have uh, we haven't got the data latest. But um, uh, you know, uh, more than uh, twenty to thirty apps in Microsoft from Microsoft are wow. using native several pieces of the apps are written using react native for example the, um, uh, you know you're accessing your word doc or uh, you know something like or a powerpoint slide from your phone uh, ios or android device and you're trying to comment on it that common experience is built for react native there are several things like that uh, and, and you know some of some whole apps are also shipped using react native a lot of xbox suite of apps like mixer app and things that are written with react native um, and, you know from microsoft it's not Apps. We are also kind of investment, so um, uh, and that's where a lot of us are coming in. Uh, you know, we are uh, so React Native originally came as an iOS and Android solution. Uh, what Microsoft is doing is partnering with Facebook very closely and uh, providing um, implementations of Native for Windows and Mac. So you can actually now use React Native and target uh, iOS. Android, Windows, which includes all devices that run Windows 10, which you know, like Xbox, you know, consoles and you know all those kinds of devices as well, and as well as Mac uh, OS as well. So uh, there's a mm. lot of platform investments that are happening in that, end. Um, and um, in addition, we of you know, we obviously have a tons of services and tooling that are cross-platform, and. VS um, Code, there are extensions we are creating for React Native. Um, we have uh, a lot of um, app centers uh, and uh, studio solutions for services that are also being extended for React Native. So, just a lot of investments across Microsoft in this space.
2: Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. The but, thing's back that, just, oh, Go ahead uh, with your question. No, I continue. was just going to say, back to the list of products. Yeah, I mean, just to be clear, like, you know, stuff of Office, Outlook, OneDrive, Xbox Game Pass, Mixer. Dynamics, Power Apps, Bing, Um, a lot of these apps from Microsoft now, if you're using them on your phone especially, and and more and more coming to PC as well, um, are using React Native for either small or big parts of the apps.
1: Yeah, I I thought it was interesting that you said not only are some apps entirely written in, uh, some there's just a portion of, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I guess that, you know, from, from my point of view, looking at it, that, you know, if Microsoft's using React Native across the various spectrum, um, you know, is there um, investments that we've made to <clears throat> uh, the React Native ecosystem to help make it easier for developers to implement React Native uh, to either uh, a component or in an entire application for the average developer?
2: Well, yeah, I'd say a couple of things. I'd say from the get-go, React Native has always served as a technology that supports both building entire apps or just portions of apps. It originally was started by Facebook as a way to build parts of the Facebook app. And I forget exactly how many screens, but I think it's in the
3: hundreds of screens. 750 screens.
2: Yeah, so Facebook has made public that 750 of the different screens of the Facebook mobile app that you use are written in React Native. And so they originally created it... um, Yes, I mean, it's very integrated into existing apps. So inherently, the architecture of it is very easy to interop with and just kind of plug in. You can almost think of it, you know, if you've built an app with XAML, um, I'll tell you more about the Windows implementation of it, but if you built an app with XAML in the past, you put a WebView control. Have you ever done that into an app Mm -hmm, or a WinForms app? And you just point it to kind of a URL. Well, you can almost think of it like that. You can put kind of a React Native host, as it were, inside an existing native app, and then point it to your you know, JavaScript code and have it start instantiating. But what's cool is when you do a web view in there, all of a sudden you're loading this whole web engine in there and you have this kind of discordance with your UI where some of the UI in your app is native and some of this web UI and the tabbing is a little weird and accessibility is a little weird and they don't look the same styling and all those kinds of things. And with React Native, since it's actually really just spawning more native UI in that context, it looks and feels totally integrated with the rest of the app. And so it's a, it's a really nice way... To um, have components of your UI or things you want to move over time to a newer technology or a cross-platform technology, do so while still building on the existing code that you have, and that's why Microsoft's been able to use it in that way too so much. Because a lot of our, our apps, you can imagine, things like Office have, you know, who knows how many lines of code over how many decades, you know, built up in those apps um, that you know no one's going to be able to just snap their fingers and rewrite anytime soon. So how does this,
0: what does this look like then in the world of like PWA? Um, I'm trying to wrap my head around that because a PWA app, right. is going to be like purely web-based. You're not going to have native controls. Um, Correct. Yeah. Right. This
2: isn't, in some ways, a, a React Native is like an alternate, um, you know, to PWA. And so for some, it really depends kind of what you need and, and what your app is trying to achieve. Because PWA is really basically just your website and then a little bit nicer integration into like, the launcher screens and, uh, oh, you know, some extra APIs and things to help you do some background processing and some stuff like that. But it really is basically just your website. Um, and React Native is really using the same skills and and way you might write a website, but to build a fully native app. And depending on the app and how you know much UI fidelity it wants to have, or how much existing native experience you have, you want to integrate with, or whatever, it's uh, you know in some cases a, a better choice. PWA, you're limited by what gets exposed through web standard APIs. So let's say some new type of sensor comes online. Imagine they add a new type of gyroscope accelerometer or a new Bluetooth API or a new, you name it. Until the web standards bodies and so forth all go agree to go define a new web standard API for that, right. you don't have access to that with PWA. With React Native, since it's really just a fully native app, Anything you want that the platform has, as soon as the platform maker adds some API to iOS or Mac or Android or Windows or anything, instantly you can start to use that in your React Native app because you can write what's called a native module. So you write a bit of native code that does the actual native API call and then exposes a JavaScript API itself up to your JavaScript code and then your JavaScript code, you can call it. Um, So you have unfettered access to the native platform with React Native. Um, So... Uh, I don't know, that's kind of one differentiation from PWA. But PWA is really just like your website. And so everything you know about website development is 100% the same as that. So that's kind of a benefit that has. So it really depends kind of where you're coming from and the kind of experience you want to have and um, how native you want your UI to be.
3: Yeah. And, you know, especially in the context of brownfield scenarios that we talk about, uh, where, you know, not the entire app, but, you know, small portions of the app you're using uh, different technologies for in the old days of web views, uh, And even, you know, like uh, with PWAs and, you know, there's just a lot of uh, um, what looks native in that device looks very different from that web UI. Um, and um, you, in order to, the really high, um, uh, high-end user experience for your app, um, you really want it to be as close to native as possible.
1: So I, I think that kind of leads, like as we're talking about, you know, potential alternates to React Native. You know, how, you know, how does this compare to some of those other uh, cross-platform native technologies like Xamarin, mm-hmm. uh, which utilizes, you know, uh, you know, Microsoft languages or mm-hmm. Ionic with, uh, you know. Uh, JavaScript there,
2: yeah. So um, Xamarin, I, I have to. Uh, I, so Xamarin takes an approach very similar to React Native. So it's what we what we call a meta framework like React Native, where when if you, well, there's two parts to Xamarin. So let's just separate that for a second. There's Xamarin and Xamarin Forms. And I know and people have been following some of the .NET five roadmap stuff, so you know there's some renames and things coming. But basically, there's Xamarin and Xamarin Forms. And Xamarin just gives you a C-sharp projection into the native APIs of each platform. So you're still calling, for example, the Apple UIKit, you know, APIs to create your UI. You're just having to use JavaScript, I mean, c instead of Objective-C. That's how Xamarin, Xamarin works. Um, and then there's Xamarin Forms, which also defines kind of a UI abstraction. So there's like a Xamarin Forms button and a Xamarin Forms text box. And when you instantiate those under the covers, they create a native iOS text box, a native iOS button. And the same on Windows and the same on Android. So in that way, Xamarin Forms and React Native are very similar, I'd say, technologically in the kind of approach they take. Um, and then I think a lot of the differences just in the, um, you know, language itself, the uh, you know where you're coming from with your skills, the ecosystem of other things you want to use there. Um, if that, if that makes and sense. the
3: advantages of the inherent programming model, advantages, disadvantages. Like C sharp and net has their own advantages in terms of the programming model itself, the tools you use, you know, all those things are different. Whereas for React Native and you know it's a JavaScript framework. So the programming model is different and you know the advantages that come with it are different. Right.
1: So in a lot of the times, I could probably base my decision based upon what does my current development team, uh, how are they composed? You know, do they have those that JavaScript, React heavy background? If so, React Native might be the solution. Whereas if you know we have a team that's done uh, a lot of .NET and uh, maybe this is done native uh, iOS and Android and understand that, maybe Xamarin's a, a little more comfortable for the team?
2: Yeah, I think it's something for the, you know, the teams to kind of evaluate, you know, themselves. Sometimes teams have, like, a bunch of web developers that they want to be able to better utilize, um, and React Native is a good option to utilize those developers um, for certain projects or things like that where they still want to be native or be able to integrate with a native app that they're building. Um, So, yeah, but, you know, I think it's definitely something for people to evaluate. And Microsoft, to be clear, like, you know, this is the new Microsoft. Um, so we're not about not invented here or trying to push a certain technology down on people we're really trying to embrace the best industry solutions, the best things the marketplace has to offer, and make them work really well for Microsoft's developers, make them work really well with Microsoft's technologies. Um, and you see Microsoft doing that all over the place. You've seen us do that with, the web engine where Microsoft has taken the bold step of adopting the Chromium web engine. You've seen us do that even in the operating system space where the Microsoft Surface Duo device is shipping with Android and Microsoft is contributing to make Android better uh, for that device. And you see us doing that with React Native. And so I think it's just part of the culture that Satya is bringing to the company and the new Microsoft where we're really, again, not, about, not invented here or trying to push a certain technology, but really just trying to embrace the best things and work with the community and the industry to make, you know, the, the, the best technologies out there work really well for Microsoft developers with Microsoft technologies and tools and services and platforms and things.
0: So speaking of Microsoft tools and integrations, I was just curious, like when I used React uh, Native back a while ago, I remember there was some magic that would happen. And I think you mentioned earlier that, you know, as you change your code, you get like this live preview experience. So my first, you know, whenever I looked at the, the react native, like getting started guide here, you know, it says NPM install and there's some stuff here. Um, I tend to go, my default now tends to be either like a Linux virtual machine, or I will use the, um, uh, windows subsystem for Linux.
2: Yeah. WSL. Yeah. Like, yeah.
0: yeah, So I, I guess I don't, I don't. I don't understand how this works. Then can I use this from WSL and kind of what's going on? Because like, how was that live connection happening and what does that look like?
2: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So you can do your development. um, You know, you can do react native development on a Mac. You can do it on windows. You can do it in Linux. You can do it in a WSL, you know, runtime on, in windows. Um, And, there's, I think the way to think about it is there's two parts to a React Native app, sort of. Mm-hmm. There really is actually, I'll say, I almost call it the template app. There is a native app. So when you create a new React Native project, there's a iOS project head that gets created, a Android one, a Windows one, if you've added the Windows one, et cetera. And those are literally a native iOS, Android, or or Windows project. Like you could double-click at VS project and open up in Visual Studio and hit F5 and build it. Or you could open up the the Xcode project in Xcode and built it. And all that the native code part has is really just some kind of interop glue and stuff. But most of your app, you're just writing or all your app, unless you're personally writing a native extension, you're writing all your app just in JavaScript. And so those have to be compiled once, basically. At some point, those apps have to be compiled. Mm-hmm. But then all your real editing and all the work you're actually doing, you're just editing some JavaScript files that you can imagine are sort of getting loaded by that, React Native View Control that I mentioned. almost like a web view. And so the you don't have to actually go through a full F5 build process for the app every time. You could have built it once and then just be editing that JavaScript code and the UI in the app would be lot, you know live editing, if that makes sense. Because it's not really new compiled bits. It's just a script, script code, script bits that are changing. And that creates a lot of opportunity, both for quick, uh, you know, fast refresh, what used to be called hot le- reload on the client's, but even for service delivery of things. And so we have people who want to do a lot of experimentation like they do on the web or pushing out different updates to different regions or all sorts of different techniques they kind of use on the web and using things like Visual Studio App Center or other home-brewed solutions. Since it's just JavaScript code, you can just keep sending it updates over to the clients and updating them kind of very rapidly. And there's other tools in the ecosystem. There's something called Expo, for example, that also people use that helps with that.
0: Yep. That's actually what I was, uh, what I was just looking at it actually. So I started in a Linux machine here and it says the expo dev tools are running on port, uh, 19,002. Um, and it actually gives me a port with a URI here. That's an exp colon slash slash. And I has the IP and the port number. Um, so it looks like I need to go or the camera app. So if I scan this queue, it shows like a QR code. Um, yeah, I
3: think you have used basically Expo to um, um, install. Um, so React Native has, um, in your getting started guide, if you go there and see, there is one that says use the Expo CLI, and then you can do it without the Expo CLI as well. But so Expo is basically um, uh, um, services and tools that kind of uh, come from the community um, that uh, help in kind of bootstrapping your React Native environment quite mm-hmm. fast. Um, and uh, one of the ways you can do it is uh, you're seeing there, where uh, you know you basically install a Expo client on your phone, and then uh, at that point you can just scan your uh, that QR code on that phone app and uh, deploy it directly. So at, from that point on, whatever you're developing on your machine, you can start live re- reloading on the device using that kind of mechanism. So there is lots of creative solutions like that.
0: Wow. Okay. So now I have expo on my phone (laughs) and, um, oh man, it looks like I got to sign up, get started. Okay. It looks like I have to sign up. So I won't, uh, I won't bore you with that. So it looks like now that this is on my phone, I can scan this QR code. This is kind of wild because the phone, the phone's on my local network. And then in Linux, I have basically the react native server, if you will. And then uh-huh. what's cool about it is I can use the remote SSH functionality in VS code from my windows machine. <laughs> so I can remotely change and debug that code, but it's all, yeah. so it's, it's like running on the, on Linux, but I'm seeing it on my phone.
3: Absolutely.
2: Yep. While you're seeing your yep. windows computer, which is great. Cause a lot of developers right now have been so hamstrung. Like if they want to do like an iOS app development, they have to get a Mac, they have to have it plugged yeah. in these weird ways. Yeah. It's this very, you know, expensive and tedious environment. And it creates a lot less flexibility for developers. And now someone can just have Windows with WSL and be developing an iOS app.
0: Yeah, it's definitely not, not fun. Because <laughs> I was asking Carl, um, I, want, I wanted to build an app recently, and I was asking Carl for some advice. And uh, I'm just like, oh, I'll just use like the regular Mac. Because I had a Mac here, right? And uh, yeah, I, I gave it about five minutes, and I was just
3: frustrated. Yeah. Yeah, so on topic of Expo, if you go to snack.expo.io, um, uh, that's also a very interesting uh, way to explore where um, uh, basically uh, you can start editing a JavaScript file um, and uh, you can make it run on the website um, uh, on a simulated iOS device, simulated Android device, and hopefully soon uh, simulated Windows device. Huh. Uh, and the idea that's is cool. that, um, you know, uh, basically you are seeing that and you, you can export a snack, send it to your colleague and uh, they can launch it on their website and they can see it right away. You can edit it live together, all kinds of fun things
0: wow this is really cool <laughs> this is pretty neat yeah i have something compiling now on or it says it's building on uh, linux so i think i'll have it on my phone here shortly but yeah this uh, snack.expo.io we'll have to include a link to that in the show notes although it's pretty simple um oh yeah look at that now i'm running the application now on my phone so that that is uh that is pretty cool
3: okay that's exactly, you know, one of the biggest advantages that we have, like we are a platform team. So we actually hear from our customers from Microsoft and, you know, outside as well about, hey, look at the productivity thing. Like this is an, a big time productivity win for people who are just trying to get unblocked and develop fast. Um, and the more we saw it, we saw the potential and that's why Microsoft is here. Yeah, yeah. And that's one
2: of the reasons we've been working to bring it to Windows and to Mac as Harini has said you know and so Microsoft's partnering very closely with Facebook now uh, on it you know uh, we have weekly calls together and um, you know just are working together kind of as one industry to try to move forward to technology in, in the right way. but by bringing it to Windows and to Mac, it's enabling a lot of uh, developers at Microsoft and we think in the broader community over time to be able to have that kind of productivity, developing an app and developing one for Windows and iOS and Android. So they can have it run on a Surface or they can run on an iPad. They can have it run on a Chromebook, uh, et cetera. There's also, you know, you can also spit out, it's a little mental loop you have to go through, but you can actually create a React Native. There's something called React Native for web. So you can use React Native to create iOS, Android, Windows, Mac, and also a website using React Native, which is kind of funny. You say, "Well, why don't you just use, React for that, but maybe you've gotten really into React Native and then you just don't even want the extra overhead of having to have a React, a separate React HTML based front end, and so you can actually spit out a website with React Native too. I think at some point, it might still be the case, Twitter. It
3: is, is actually still, the, yeah. yeah. Twitter.com Twitter, is still on. Twitter.com
2: Twitter is actually it. built with React Native for web.
1: If you've
0: ever, That's if
2: interesting. If you've, ever, if you've ever heard of Twitter.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, you know, you know, as we talk about Um, you know, the different outputs and to get a a, a Windows application uh, as the output, is this what, you know, I'm looking on GitHub right now, I'm seeing React uh, Native Windows as a project under the Microsoft um, tenant there. Is is that. Is you know, is this what brings that uh, uh, Windows
3: support? Yeah, so, yeah. So, uh, so what you see there is the, our implementation. So that's what we are React Native originally that came from Facebook uh, was implemented for iOS and Android, and then uh, we got involved and created the React Native Windows project, which is an implementation of React Native that targets Windows. Um, we have also uh, we've also been uh, working uh, on creating a React Native Mac OS um, uh, that is also um, um, uh, you know that's an implementation of React Native for Mac. So um, uh, in on the GitHub. So all of these are open source projects. You can uh, go to React Native and you would see uh, the the entire source code of React Native over there. React Native Windows has a source code for React Native Windows implementation and um, Mac OS is also open source. And I will send you some of those links you can put in your um, podcast notes um we have a website. you can go to AAMS react Native, Windows Mac and uh, y- you can see the entire uh, gamut of uh, you know of what you can do with react Native Windows, where you can for the uh, samples, where you can read documentation on it how you can get started, all of that stuff uh, um, you know highlighted over there. But yeah, that's basically the implementation of React Native for Windows, which is basically Windows 10 um, and um, uh, yeah, it's pretty much open source.
0: So I got this working. Um <laughs> which is really <laughs> That it, was fast. This is crazy. This is I'm telling you this is crazy. I wish I wish you could see like my whole setup here because I literally so on my desktop I have a virtual machine running. It's it's just running Ubuntu Linux. Like there's nothing special about it. And that was where I followed the tutorial and I ran like three commands to get uh, to get Expo installed and then it literally in the terminal showed a QR code. And I installed uh, the Expo app from the the iOS store, and that was free. And I signed up. That took like it took like five seconds to sign up. It, it really wasn't a big deal. I scanned the the QR code with the camera app, and then that took like a minute. Then after that, I don't know what the heck was building, but it did take a little bit to build. Um, and then the app is, I mean, it's running on my phone like a, like a you know it doesn't show up like on the home screen, but it's an app. You know, it's basically a container for the app. Let's call it. And then what i did i opened up my laptop just to bring in another machine right um i already had uh, vs code set up to do the remote ssh functionality so i can modify the files that are on the linux machine this is probably really hard to follow on a podcast um, but basically i'm in vs code i can see all the source code for this app and uh, like i'm able to modify the navigation the home screen um you know i change some text um i can i can move things around change layouts then I just hit control S, you know, just to save the file and on my phone, which is sitting here, it immediately refreshes and they were smart. The app, when it is open and displaying, um, basically my, my app at the, whenever the container on my phone is showing this, um, they're smart and they actually keep the phone on, which is, which is really nice. So I don't have to sit there and kind of keep trying to keep the phone, um, awake, but, uh, what a cool way to, to develop. Cause the, the end result is I have my phone sitting next to my laptop. I'm changing the code, hitting save, and I can see my app. Like, that's pretty yeah. cool.
3: I You you can go one step further, and it's even cooler because <laughs> um, you're know, outputting for all platforms that are supported. So if you had an Android device, you would see it on that as well. If you had a Windows device, you would see it on that as well. So everything would be.
0: Could I do, like, an iPad, too? Like, at the same time? Yep. Oh, really? Uh-huh. That's really cool. So I could literally have, like, a device wall and just be sitting here, like, checking it on every type of device.
2: That yeah, would- I I it sure be setting a lot of emulators up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that is really cool. So, okay. So, here's what always breaks down in this, right? So, you're getting me excited about this. And here's what always breaks down. Like, if I want to start, uh, like if I want to access the GPS, um, so, like, what does that actually look like in React Native? Cause I know you can, you, you were talking about how that differs from PWA where they, you know, have to go through like the standards body. Um, yeah. Like, how difficult is something question. like that?
3: Um, um. Can I take that one, Paul? Go for it. Go for it, Harini. <laughs> go for it. So, uh, there are some. Uh, so, the concept in React Native, uh, like Paul was saying, for uh, is a thing called native extensions. Mm-hmm. Where, um, uh, basically, it is a concept. There is a one set of APIs that you kind of learn about, to kind of work with those concepts. And once you learn it, you can, you know, you learn the mechanic of exposing some. To the JavaScript layer, you can then apply it for each platform. So, for example, the geolocation and stuff—you um, 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 know—each platform might have a slightly different way of doing it. Um, in some of these cases, which are you know, for pop ones like the geolocation, one is a pretty popular one. We would actually have a community module that is already built. That um, uh, that kind of wraps each native API around geolocation and surfaces up a JavaScript API that you can use from your app. Um, but you know, like each app might have something that is a unique need for that app that is just not there as a uh, extended ecosystem module. In that case, you basically follow the same process that you know both um, the framework itself follows, as well as all the community modules will follow, which is you learn how to wrap a native uh, API and. To the JavaScript layer, and you can you can basically wrap any API that way, um, and expose it to your app. Use it from JavaScript in your app. If that makes sense.
0: That's pretty cool. Yeah, I see React Native GPS. Yeah.
3: Uh, so be- that's the other thing. Yeah, so React Native has a very vibrant ecosystem, and it's a like highly community-driven um, uh, framework. Um, you know, uh, the core itself is very light and very thin, and they let you basically do a la carte on your app. Like, uh, you know, you basically bootstrap your app with some basic primitive, and then at a point you can bring in any community module that you want on your app, and um, you know, that your app needs, and then go uh, make a progressive app from there. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. This is really cool. This, this looks like I can even I can do this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and that's one of the things that we're working on as Microsoft engages here is we're trying to, you know, because this has started primarily as a mobile thing and we've been growing it and the, and the usage has been growing for desktop. And so one of the things what we're doing is engaging with the community on making sure these modules uh, over time uh, all work, you know, by default with Windows too. So there's more and more of them that are. Um, and 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 because it's all open source, anyone is, you know, if you're the first person who happens to need a certain module uh, working for Windows, you can just go add the implementation and contribute it too. And what I like you about this too,
3: for you, okay. you can go to reedtil Okay. And um, that is one. That is actually a website that we are uh, helping kind of curate. Um, And you will see a list of all um, uh, or almost all uh, community modules that are out there uh, with a little bit of information about each. That you can then filter, search based on what you need, and um, uh, you can actually use them from your app. Uh, What we are working on improving in that uh, uh, website is to kind of make it a little more curated. Add. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, show wherever Windows is supported, Mac is supported. Um, add some more data around CI infrastructure and things like that so that people can get an understanding of the reliability of each module, things like that.
0: Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And the other thing I noticed whenever I was using uh, Expo was that um, it asked me like what type of project I wanted to set up, and uh, there were the default, or there was an option in there for JavaScript, but then there was also a TypeScript option. So I thought that was pretty yeah. cool that by default they had that because I love JavaScript and, and particularly TypeScript. So that was pretty exciting to me.
2: Yeah, people who like more strongly typed languages, I think a lot of people who come from Microsoft development uh, world like TypeScript, which is a Microsoft language.
0: Yeah, that's probably an oversimplification. I don't know. Like I I really like JavaScript, but I do like to layer. I like to layer in types where where it matters. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like I I feel like. It's not, it's not necessarily binary. I feel like TypeScript just gives you a lot of flexibility. Like you can just sort of layer in things whenever, whenever it makes sense. It's like, Hey, this, this is this type. Um, just don't mess it up, <laughs> you know? So very cool. Very cool. Um, okay. Well, I'm glad I got that up and running. I thought that was uh, that was pretty, that was pretty neat. Um, so I was going to ask you how tough it was to get started, but it's pretty easy so
3: <laughs> yeah. amazing like i am so happy that you started it on this call and then we'd actually see how long it took for you so people can get an idea
0: yeah i mean yeah. I, th- I think the actual like cool. start to finish was probably like two minutes uh maybe three you know like if you have a five minute budget i think you're good uh, my linux machine is pretty fast so i'll just if, if anybody has five minutes uh, you could get this up and running in five minutes i would say Um, and all of this is free, right? Like I didn't see anything in here that costs money. It's just, it's all, it's all free, right?
3: It's, it's all all free, free, all open source.
0: Okay. I can see why this is very appealing.
3: Yeah. I mean, because the core frameworks themselves are open source, the community modules and everything that the community does is also open source. So it's just a very, um, uh, the community of people who are engaged and, um, are all kind of behind in the same principle of open source. And it's pretty interesting to follow along.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, anything else you wanted to mention about this?
3: Um, I thought there was one interesting topic there, which was sure. um, when we were talking about the device forms, maybe we could talk about the dual screen experiences. Um, Paul, do you want to talk about that? Sure. Um, you know, As
2: part of bringing it to Windows, we're bringing it to what we call the Windows Core OS. So that's kind of how we think about our technology that powers all the different devices Microsoft makes, including things like HoloLenses and Xboxes. And one of the new device categories that have been uh, we announced earlier this year, are the dual-screen devices. Uh, so those are running something called Windows 10X. It's like a, a kind of variant of Windows 10. Yep. And, um, and so we've been doing work to make both our core platform of Windows that, that we own, because our team owns the, the UI platform of Windows itself, as well as React Native for Windows fully um, uh, take advantage of that, and React Native in general. So we we posted up on the React Native uh, uh, community, uh, I forget the name of that. The, sort of the discussions and proposal site, sorry, we have a couple of different sites, um, <laughs> a proposal around what we're doing in the dual screen space, but we're basically adding uh, support that you would need to create fully powered dual screen applications that use both the screens, uh, both for Android and for Windows, because the Surface Duo device is powered by Android, as you may know, and the Surface Neo device and a whole bunch of other devices from OEMs so are powered by Windows 10 and 10X. Um, and so... We've kind of been adding the APIs that make that easy to do. We showed off a bunch of those at the this Microsoft 365 developer day event we had last month or two months ago. I forget time is a blur now. <laughs> it is. It is. Um but so that's so that's cool. So we're so we're not just kind of making it work with Microsoft's devices, but we're enhancing it to fully exploit and leverage them. And so that's true for the dual screen devices. It's also true for Xbox. So we've been adding things to make sure that you have the full experience with the game controller and, and all that stuff. So it's a fully rich native Xbox app, for example, that you're building.
0: Very cool. Very cool.
2: Um, anything else? Um, one other thing that I thought would be cool, we just mentioned a little bit mm-hmm. how we're layered on the Windows UI platform, but our team also uh, makes something called WinUI. I think maybe you had Ryan demo uh, recently on your show about that. I don't know if you guys did. Um, Carl? Maybe not. No, no, I think (laughs) it was a different show. Oh, okay.
0: Oh, probably a better Uh, show. Yeah.
2: Oh, well, yeah. Well, well, maybe we'll reconnect him up (laughs) with you guys too. But we've been doing a lot of work uh, on evolving kind of the native Windows UI platform uh, with something called WinUI. And uh, that kind of brings kind of the latest power of everything that was done that in the past was kind of called UWP Mm -hmm. um, to make it available for all Windows apps um, in market. And so... And we're layering React Native, we'll be layering in the future React Native on top of that. So you get all the latest, highest fidelity, touch-friendly, beautiful animations, all that kind of stuff of the full WinUI platform uh, from, from React Native, and you'll be able to use it in Win32 and UWP apps. Okay, So. very cool. Anything else you wanted to ask, Carl?
1: Uh, I, I think the only other thing that I, I thought might be interesting—I I don't know if you can share this—but at the at the beginning we talked about how Microsoft uses it uh, across dozens of applications. Um, but when we talk about the specifically the uh, the Windows uh, facing side, are are there any uh, big examples of people using React Native to create Windows applications that we can share?
2: Uh, Harini, can we share
3: share a calendar? Um, yeah. Okay. I thought so. I was. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. So the calendar app—that's the inbox app on um, um, uh, Microsoft uh, Windows 10 devices. Uh, that is an app that is entirely fully written. Uh, uh, the, a new version of it is coming out, um, uh, and you can yeah. Actually, if you install the app right now, you can turn on the preview. There's like a toggle at the top that says, you know, "Give me the latest one," and you, the one that comes up after that is the React Native app. It's entirely React Native for Windows. It's built on on top of ours. There are some other apps. Um, um, There are a few apps in the uh, Xbox suite of apps, uh, like the events app and things like that. And there's more coming up that we can talk about (laughs) that are all using React Native for Windows latest bits.
0: Wow, I just, yeah, so I fired up the the calendar app and uh, I turned on the preview and it looks great. Looks great. Yeah,
3: it's React
2: Native. That's React Native for Windows.
0: 100% React Native for Windows. Okay, very
2: cool. yeah, that, and there's more coming there. And I think we've also publicly already shown, we showed this, we showed this at React EU uh, this past summer, um, parts of Microsoft Word um, starting to use it as well. Okay. And so you'll probably see more demos like that in the future. But we showed the commenting pane, because we'd already talked about the commenting pane on the mobile apps being built with React Native. And so at React Native EU, we showed um, the commenting pane even in the desktop Word app uh, being built with React Native.
0: Cool, cool. Okay. Um, Cool, thank you. And then,
1: Carl, uh, what do you have for the Dev Tip of the Week? For the Dev Tip of the Week, I have an extension for VS Code. It's called Power Mode. And this is one that uh, is isn't very useful from a productivity standpoint but it's uh very useful to make you feel happy inside and i figured (laughs) as with everybody kind of you know socially distance you know anything to make us happy uh would uh kind of uh be nice to have right now and what this is is as you're typing it'll explode the letters basically onto your screen. So you'll see little animations with uh, like either particles or explosions or little uh, fire fireworks. Um, there's a lot of different ones that you can select.
0: Ooh, flames.
1: Um, uh, yeah. It'll just make your ty- typing a lot more fun at least for five minutes until you disable it.
0: <laughs> this is really cool. <laughs> I like it. It I'll took me a, a while to figure out how to turn it on, by the way, like that, to me, that's the most confusing part. Like once you install it, then you click on the the gear, you go to extension settings. And then there is a, um, there's a checkbox. It's a really weird way because they use a checkbox like a button, but you check the checkboxes as enable to activate power mode, all caps, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. And then you can change your presets and, uh, yeah. I don't see why you wouldn't just leave this on forever. Um, this would definitely, I mean, like it. In yeah. Fact,
1: it would be really fun for demos. Like yes. at the end of the sprint.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Very cool. Very cool.
0: Um, okay. So yeah, Paul and Harini, um, where can, uh, where can people find each of you?
2: Um, I'm a PAG three pag third on Twitter.
0: Okay. And Harini,
3: um, um, I am react windows and Twitter. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Product luck. Well, what,
0: what happens if you uh, switch to a different technology? Well, <laughs> <No. we'll see. laughs> that's a, that's a pretty big bet. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So uh, Paul and Harini, thank you so much for coming on here and talk to, talking to us about React Native. This is uh, this is pretty cool. I mean, it's I think it's long overdue and it's, uh, it's a really cool technology. So thank you.
2: Yeah. Thank you for having us.
3: Thanks for having
2: us. Be, be well. Wishing well to everyone uh, in these times.